Good morning. My name is Matt Blazer. I'm the pastor here. Are we all good, Simon? Okay. Our text this morning is from Matthew chapter 22. He's quoting Deuteronomy and um, loosely Leviticus also. Very familiar idea in the Bible worth, in my opinion, really zeroing in on, which we did a little bit last week and again this week and next week as well. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is indeed the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. The greatest command. You know, to be, to be very honest, I um, really appreciate, the older I get especially, I really appreciate non-metaphorical commands. And here we have a metaphorical command. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to pay attention as best we can with our limits of mind and imagination and all of the other ways we're limited because we're creatures. We want to follow. We want to not just believe in Jesus. We want to not just do religious activities that help us believe and believe more deeply in him. We want to actually follow him. And following him means listening to him, wrestling with his words. Why did he answer this way? This is a metaphorical command, and yet we understand it, don't we? We know that he doesn't mean we need to uh, make a meal for God, or um, kiss God, or anything that we might do with someone that we're in love with. We, we know that, right? So what does it mean to love God with all of our soul? Jeff Moger preached last week about loving God with your heart. This week I'm talking about loving God with your soul. And it, it would be so easy to let our understanding of this be overly informed by how our culture thinks about and talks about romance. Um, we idolize it, very frankly. And Jesus is speaking about something far more profound and absolutely transcendently bigger than romance. My hope this morning is that as we, as we wrestle with his words, shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, we become more gripped by the love of Jesus Christ. And therefore, more of our lives are aligned with the way he encouraged us to do life. The reason that Jesus told us to love with all our heart is because we have a heart. The reason that he told us to love with our soul is because that is part of us. The reason he said to love with our mind is that's part of who we are. So he's saying, love God with all of who you are, with your actions and with your thoughts, and with your emotions and with your intellect. As we allow ourselves to be gripped by that, we move from belief 
through religion into something far more profound, which is following Christ. What is the greatest commandment of all time? It's this one. Quoting Deuteronomy, Jesus is affirming the greatest command is to respond to the love of God with love back. When I was uh, becoming ordained, um, the man who preached the sermon opened the sermon this way. Matt and I have known each other 13 years, and we've been friends for seven. (laughs) I didn't realize how clever that was for about five minutes. Um, And in the middle of the sermon, he discussed the difference between Kobe and LeBron. That's, I'm dating the time of my ordination for those of you that are big NBA fans. And I remember how fierce the debate was about which one was better and which one would you rather have on your team and which one do you want having taking the last second shot. For New England, it's probably more like is anybody even in the same ballpark as Tom Brady, right? That's our greatest of all time debate. Sometimes uh, it's Michael Jordan versus LeBron. I see that a lot on Twitter because of who I follow. There are a lot of commands in the scriptures. And I hope that you know and understand that the commands are there to display God's holiness, to display our need, and to guide us. They are guides into real life, into a kingdom life, even amidst a world that continues to groan for the renewal of all things. So what does it mean to follow the greatest command? Because it's nebulous, right? The command is love God with all of who you are. But Jesus said the word soul. It's the Greek word suke. It's where we get uh, psychology. Just relatively young science. Pun intended. Oh yeah. In this moment, we get to lean into the nebulousness of this commandment. Learning to love with all of us is real life. Because if God exists, our worship of him cannot be partial. We can't divide our allegiance or our affection or our worship of him. It has to be the core of who we are. Though we continue to sin, we are being grown up in love in this very moment, if you're a follower of Christ. See Psalm 1 and Galatians 5 for a defense of that. So we get to lean into some of the nebulousness of this command in full expectation that the Holy Spirit utilizes all of these thoughts and emotions, my meager understanding of the text, your listening and your intellect as you grapple with it, into a more profoundly kingdom life than before. The word suke in the Greek comes from, um, in terms of I'm tracing it through the Bible, from the Hebrew word nephesh. This is the word used, um, and the word nephesh translated in the Jewish version of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, um, is suke. So when Jesus says, love God with all your soul, he's deliberately referencing Deuteronomy 6, but he's uh, connecting it also to Genesis 1. This is what's different about human beings, the soul. My daughter asked me yesterday if I think animals will be in the new heavens and new earth, and I do. But that's just a guess, because Scripture doesn't speak to it with any kind of directness. What does it speak to? You are made different. You're a human being. You are made in the image of God. And I have been wrestling with ways to explain this. One of the most primary 
differences between us and every other created living thing is we get to choose what to worship. My dog worships. My dog glorifies God. When he rolls in the snow, acting like a dog, I believe that's a for I don't mean he's worshiping and that has any efficacy or power or matter or merit. I mean he's acting like a dog. God created dogs. He loves how playful they are. People that say dogs don't have emotions or can't make facial expressions. I, we're just going to need to disagree on that one. We choose what to worship. And um, that's one of the most profound differences. What, are, what other differences? We get to make. We get to have dominion over the earth and create and cultivate. This is a, these are branches from a cherry tree that a friend taught me how to um, trim this week. And if I keep them in the sun and keep them watered, I think in a few weeks there will be buds in this glass. And I think that's beautiful. And the reason I trimmed the cherry tree is I want it to flourish. We have the ability as human beings with our words, with our time, with our literal actions to reflect the image of God as makers. You're a maker. With your work, literal vocation, you make in ways that others cannot. In your relationships, with your words. You know, this just for the sake of fun, point to your mind. Right? What about your strength? I mean, is it, is it, you know, like here? Like, yeah, point to your strength. Like we could maybe to the thigh, big muscle, right? Or even to the heart as a muscle. Point to your heart. Point to your soul. We can't, right? Jesus is speaking to us about all of us, encouraging us in an indirect and metaphorical way that worshiping God with all of who we are as a maker is a way of glorifying him, ultimately serving neighbor, and then becoming our full self. Whoops, I went one too far. Meredith, can you pull that back to accessible? I don't think I can. Oh, I did. Yay. Did I do that or did you do that? Okay, thanks, tech team. The great command is nebulous, but it's accessible. You can continue to love God with your soul by noticing that the words you string together are making in the world and have an almost constant opportunity to glorify him, to serve your neighbor, and to uh, love, and even serve yourself in that way. Do you know what I'm saying? So you're a maker. That's what nefesh suke means you have a soul knowing that and knowing the command of Jesus we might pay a little more attention to our words and then when we miss it we get to do like Mike led us in earlier we get to confess and apologize ask for forgiveness and then repent which means learn to use our words better in the future you have work to do and I know, and I'm going to talk about this more in just a minute, I know many of you think that your work doesn't matter. You cannot read the Bible and believe that your work doesn't have nobility and beauty and importance in the world unless it's illegal 
or immoral, in which case you need to get a new job. And I'll talk about that more in, in a few minutes. You have friendship and family and church to cultivate because you're a maker. Because you have been given the nephesh of God. Is that true for all humans? Yes. We call that common grace. That's the theological term. Every human, regardless of whether they're a follower of Jesus or not, is made in the image of God. And so they're makers too. The good news is not that you're a maker. The good news is that because of Jesus, we get to own that we're a maker for his glory and be led by him into the real life of a maker only available in Jesus Christ. One of the challenges of being a solid, beneficial, loving maker at church is it changes every week. Did you know that? It, it wears me out. I don't know about you. I don't know how involved you are. I don't know how many of you, I don't know if nine people or 900 are listening to this. I really doubt it's 900. Anyway, and church changes every single week. People move away, people move here. Some people have been visiting uh, with our church from around the country because it's easy online. Um, others have been visiting physically because their church is not open yet. Um, and I don't know if they're going to stay or not. And you know, I don't know much about their church, and I don't even know if we're going to have a conversation about that, but that's one of the challenges. It's why, it's why relationships in church can be so challenging, among other reasons, is because it's constantly, literally constantly changing. And yet, you get to be a maker in this spiritual community and cultivate the good of this gathering of Christ followers for the glory of God, the service of your fellow Christians, and even for your own good. the Hebrew word nephesh. That's what it actually looks like in Hebrew without the uh, vowels. You have been given nephesh. You have an opportunity to cultivate it in all of your life. In hundreds of ways. In the way that you care for the plants near your house. In the way that you care for the animals you come into contact with in the way that you utilize your words and silences to love well people around you. There are, my, my driveway opens to Hedgehog Lane here in Simsbury, and there are two neighbors on either side that I'm getting to know. One of them, because we play disc golf and regular golf, and our kids are the same age, the other one's a bit older. Um, and I got to spend 20 minutes chatting with him this week. That's what makers do. We go and talk with our neighbors, and if we have an opportunity to encourage or to help them, we take it. If you're like me, you see opportunities when they don't exist sometime. And so as a maker, you learn from that also. And so I'm gonna, the application of this sermon is going to sound so close to self-help, and it's going to sound silly in the reason, maybe not silly, but it's going to sound like self-help, it's going to sound so me-focused, and that's because it's a piece of common grace which means it's available, the benefits of um, loving God with all your soul are actually available to all humans, but without the gospel, they won't grow us up in love for God and neighbor. But gardening is an opportunity to act like the maker that you are, to act like one who has received the nephesh of God 
and understands it because you followed Jesus into an affection for, an intellectual uh, affection for, and your very self, your suke, your nefesh, is devoted to loving and honoring God. You could journal. See, told you, feel like self-help, right? That's a way of making words. I went um, last, two years ago, I went to two different poetry readings. They were both about an hour long, um, and they were exquisite. Not only because both poets are very gifted, but both poets um, knew the right blend of personal life story, humor, their poetry readings, and how to thank the audience and interact with them. It was amazing. And I don't like poetry nearly as much as I want to like poetry. I try to like poetry, and you might think that's silly, but the reason is I want to experience the beauty of the world, and as one given the nephesh of God, as one made in the image of God, as one with a suke, a soul, I have the opportunity to enjoy the creation in ways that other living creatures don't. I'm not saying my enjoyment's greater. I'm saying it's broader. I don't think I like poetry more than Doug rolling in the snow. Believe me, that's my dog's name. But I got to experience it, and that's me connecting, even in a broken world, what is made in the image of God about me with beauty. One of the poets read a found poem, so it was quoting his child, who asked him, what does God look like? He asked his son, what do you think? And his son said he looks like everyone. I think that's beautiful. And I think in that moment, I'm loving God with my soul, which is made in his image, as a maker who's appreciating something that someone else has made. Some of you like to build and make things Literally, that's a way of acting like a maker in the world. I'm learning to love to cook. Another thing that separates us, for the most part, from other living things. I love it, and I think the reason I love it is not just because it tastes good. It's not just because it's a nice decompression from work. Not that you're ever that stressful. It's just me. It's not because my family enjoys it. It's also because I'm getting to make something. And here's what makes me nervous about preaching this. There's a tension that we get to live in with respect to um, this, that the Bible calls idolatry. Because on the one hand, many of you think anyone could do the things I do in my life. Anyone could be a good neighbor to my neighbor. Anyone can learn to use their words with love. Anyone can learn to do my job. There's lie in there. Of course it's true, like if you sweep floors for a living, yes, most humans can sweep a floor. First of all, maybe not as good as you. Second of all, it's your work to do. And for those of you that think that that's insignificant, I love Tim Keller's quote about this. Do you realize that if no one disinfected your countertop, you would die? Like that's how important our making is. But there's another kind of idolatry too where we start to identify fully with it where we're not humble about it. And humility doesn't mean thinking less of ourselves. 
though it perhaps includes thinking about ourselves less. We're proud of what we're able to make, but not more proud than if someone else were able to make it. You see the tension? When we learn to enjoy making, I believe we're not far from the kingdom. I believe we're beginning to experience the joy and the peace and the right living that is the kingdom of God, invisible now, but powerful and profoundly healing and good. Work or the result of its work can either be ignored, which is profoundly un- as important, which is profoundly unbiblical, or it can be worshipped. Either the actual work or the result of it, meaning money. Family, same thing. We get to build words as a maker with our family, but our family is not supposed to take precedence over this family. See Mark chapter 3 for one of the many explanations of that. The things that are unique about us can be ignored, which is a sin of omission, missing an opportunity to, to follow Christ in righteousness. They can also be worshipped, which is a sin of commission. And the sad thing about that tension is when we either don't understand the importance of our work or glorify our work, and by work I mean all of it, all of your making, we miss the opportunity to enjoy it. Love the book of Ecclesiastes, which explains part of what I'm talking about really well. There's a lot available for a human, especially a follower of God, to enjoy in this life. And the key is to neither ignore it nor worship it. Food, drink, gardening, words, friendship, family, actual work. We get to worship him all days, though we do it different some days. And your worship is unique. Did you know that? No one has ever worshipped exactly like you, and no one ever will. And that's beautiful. That's your nephesh, the image of God in you. That's the soul Jesus is speaking about, worshipping God. And this isn't the gospel. The fact that you have a soul is not the gospel. But the gospel that Jesus loves you and likes you and has found you and rescued you and forgiven you, that we have put our faith in, frees us into loving God with all of our soul in order that we might glorify him as best we're able, serve the neighbors God's put into our life, and then receive all the kingdom rewards, see Matthew 6, and benefits which are incredible. Friends, you have a heart and a mind and a soul. And as we are grown up by the Holy Spirit to worship him and love him, with all of those things, we are freed into the real life Jesus purchased and spoke about. The rest of the New Testament explains mostly how the Old Testament was pointing towards Jesus. And how to live in light of it. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on the Sabbath, and a friend uh, texted me and said, Thanks for your sermon. I'm about to go on a hike with my daughter. And I was so encouraged. I don't know where you have an opportunity to make today, which is not the gospel, but because of the gospel, is a mundane good given to us, given to all humans.
I don't know if it's to write a little bit or to chat with an old friend on the phone or to go check on your neighbor or to do a little bit of gardening or cooking. But you, my friend, are a maker made in the image of God with a soul that comes most alive in your worship of him. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your word. We're grateful that you've given us minds and friends and emotions that we might wrestle with all of the truths of you, of who you are, and who you've made us to be. We ask that you would help us to love you with all of our soul. Where my words represented you well, Lord, help us all to remember them, and where they did not, sift them out. Father, we praise and thank you not only for teaching us to love you with our souls, but to nourish that through your sacrament. I ask that each of us sense your comfort and love and the fact that we are in Christ because of his work. And I ask that we would receive, in a felt way, the support and care and sanctifying work of your Holy Spirit as we receive the bread and the wine. Amen.